1: Many ways to interact with Free Birth Society. These include our incredible offering, The Complete Guide to Free Birth, which is the most comprehensive online course available on how to give birth in your power. We also have a beautiful free birth meditation program called the Sovereign Birth Meditation Series, designed to help you release your fears and actualize your dream birth. Our latest course is called Through the Veil, a profoundly personal, radical pregnancy companion program by Yolanda Norris Clark that offers the opportunity to travel with Yolanda as she moves through the last trimester of her most recent pregnancy and invites you into her birth room to witness the birth of her eighth child. And if you're looking for a deeper connection and the opportunity for sisterhood in community with radical, like-minded women, the Free Birth Society private membership is for you, and you can apply on our website to become a member. We also offer personalized one-on-one transformational coaching with a focus on learning the tools to move out of victim consciousness and towards self-responsibility skills that translate to freedom not only in the context of birth and mothering but in every area of life and finally we are offering all of you our amazing listeners the free gift of Yolanda's 20 minute birth affirmations audio recording a gorgeous soothing meditation that every pregnant mother should have so just head on over to our website at freebirthsociety.com sign up and Yolanda's affirmations will be sent directly to your inbox
0: Hello, it's Yolanda here, and I'm so excited to tell you about my latest endeavor with Free Birth Society. It's called Through the Veil, and it's an invitation for you to join me on the most profoundly intimate experience of my life and yours. The journey of moving through the birth process into the underworld of birth, to be reborn as a new mother into a new family once again. Through the Veil is a very raw, very real third trimester, birth, and postpartum, week-by-week program that includes 17 videos in which I discuss exactly how I prepare for my free birth, including so many of the messy, emotional, logistical, and relational issues that aren't often talked about in the conventional prenatal context. Through the Veil also includes the hour-plus-long documentary of my eighth baby's birth, an incredibly loving, incredibly vulnerable, gritty, agonizing, naked, and beautiful family birth that I'm so, so proud of. I really look forward to you journeying with me through the veil.
1: I've got a special episode for you this week, as I am joined by Yolanda Norris Clark, my hero, dear friend, and partner in everything birth. She's joining us today to share the story of her most recent birth, her eighth child, and why this particular birth may not have actually been an entirely undisturbed or physiological birth. We're also thrilled to be sharing that we just released Yolanda's newest creation, Through the Veil. So, after you listen to this episode, be sure to head over to our website and get her course. Enjoy our conversation. Okay. All right. Woo! One two. One, two, three. <laughs> hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> so I'm excited to be doing this today. Uh, it's been. How many weeks at the time of this recording since the birth of your latest child? Oh my goodness! The birth of my latest child—ah,
2: uh, three, three months, pretty much. Oh
1: my goodness! Exactly. Yeah, it was July, three. huh?
2: Yeah, almost exactly three months. Mm-hmm. So
1: we're we're here to ultimately uh, share and discuss the beautiful story of your eighth child, and um, and also. There's some interesting, I think we're going to get into some interesting waters here. Uh, We were talking before we were recording that when you did share the announcement of of your son's birth, um, you kind of announced that it was not indeed undisturbed um, and that that it was um, actually not a physiological birth. So I think a lot of people have curiosity about what that means and what happened and Um, you know, I think that will kind of naturally segue into that conversation, which I think is important for you and I to have because a lot of women who are really starting to open up to these concepts and and critique uh, these ideas um, are really looking to us to clarify, you know, a lot of this stuff. What is free birth? What is undisturbed birth? What is physiological birth? Um, And so I think it was really you know, an eyebrow raise for you to share that yours wasn't, and I don't, I don't even really know what that means yet. Um, and then I also want to you know, invite you to speak and share about uh, this incredible project you've been working on, where, of course, this, this birth and this pregnancy was interwoven into that. Um, so where do you want to start? Do you want to talk a little bit about the project, or do you want to kind of just start from before this pregnancy and move on in, or what feels good to you?
2: uh gosh yeah there's a lot um I think I want to start first of all by just saying that you know one of my big commitments one of one of the most important commitments um in my work in birth is just to tell the truth about birth and that includes my own births as well um and that is also kind of what this project has been all about and as you said the project is is uh interconnected the birth experience that I had. So um, through the veil is the project that we're referencing, and it's a it's an online program uh, for pregnant women, pregnant mothers. Um, and it's it really follows my experience of the last trimester of my pregnancy, my most recent pregnancy, and the birth process and also the experience of of mothering during the immediate postpartum period. so that first week or two. After my baby was born, and this is a project that i I actually thought about doing. I, it's been on my mind for for years and years. actually, I think I mentioned when I was pregnant with Felix, who is now seven. so it's been a number of years that I've been thinking about doing this, and it was really uh, prompted by an experience that I've had many times, which is you know working with women uh, as a as a coach, um, either through uh, over over Skype, you know, distance-wise, or or even in person, and I think doing a pretty great job of, you know, providing birth education and information and ideas about birth, but especially for first-time mothers, you know, not really being able to kind of explain on a more sort of emotive or emotional or visceral level what birth is, is really like. And I don't know if that's ever possible. I don't really think it is. I think you really do have to experience it. But, um, you know, you and I created our amazing program, The Complete Guide to Free Birth, which really is such an in-depth, deep dive into uh, what physiological birth is and how birth works and the hormonal matrix of birth and and all of that stuff. Um, and, of course, we do cover the emotional aspects of birth as well, but that's in a much more intellectual sense. And I wanted Through the Veil to allow mothers to really travel with me as I go through my preparations for birth. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that I often don't follow my own advice and (laughs) you know, my life is messy and birth is scary and intimidating and it's just really raw and real. And, you know, there's no perfect way to do birth. And as you were saying before we we started the recording, Emily, free birth is not this sort of gold standard that uh, is the be all and end all. And you know, my first two birth experiences were very much attended, um, and I, I felt really uh, emotionally reliant on the wise woman who sat with me during those those first two births. And that's those experiences are really, I think, what allowed me to then go on and and um, you know, just have these very private family births that that I have now. So I wanted to really give um, participants in in the program a, a glimpse of of what birth can really be like. And you know, on one hand, birth is completely unique, um, not only to every woman, but for every woman in each of her births as well. All all eight of my births have been totally different. Um, in many ways. But then on the other hand, we're mammals and we're animals and birth works very similarly, not only among women, but even, you know, across species. So, you know, I think birth is, is, is always, um, it's just full of, full of paradoxes in, in every sense. And I wanted to try to, to try to impart that. So, um, so it was interesting, you know, preparing for, this birth of my eighth baby and at the same time kind of thinking about it as something that I was going to be able to, you know, be offering to other people. Um, and it was a very, very difficult birth. It was a difficult lead up to the birth and I'm still not totally sure why. And that was something that I thought about a lot. I had a lot of fear going into the birth process and I'm still not really sure what I was afraid of, and I think one of the reasons I think I was able to kind of acknowledge that i I had these fears that had no no definition no no rhyme, no reason is just because I have had so much experience in birth you know i've I've had eight maybe eight babies of my own I've had miscarriages i've I've witnessed many births um in other families and I used to have specific fears, but I think I know so much about birth now that I'm not specifically afraid of, of any particular outcome or incident or or you know eventuality. It's more that I can sort of see now that fear is just part of the process. And I don't think I need to assign that fear to any, you know, particular mm-hmm. outcome, just that it's kind of an inchoate, I think maybe human thing. Um, but yeah, I did, uh, this birth was interesting too, because I got pregnant right after having a miscarriage. So, uh, almost two months after miscarrying and we hadn't planned on becoming pregnant at that time. Uh, <laughs> so the pregnancy that ended in a miscarriage was, was a bit of a surprise, although I've, I mean, I know that sex makes babies, so it wasn't that much of a surprise, I guess.) <laughs> um, but it was it was somewhat unexpected, I should say. Um, and so after that miscarriage happened, at that point, I sort of thought, well, that's no fun. <laughs>
1: that's terrible. Well, And I, I mean, and knowing you during that time, you had you were surprised, but then, you know, wrapped your head around it. And in the early stages of your pregnancy, you know, really came to love the pregnancy and really align with it and see how it could fit into your family. So then when it was, um, you know, when it was lost, you know, that you had already kind of integrated that um, and feeling, you know, as I remember it, quite a bit of excitement about it.
2: I had, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, my worries or concerns about being pregnant at first were really logistical. Like, how Uh am I going to fit this into, you know, all these kids and, you know, work and businesses and all that stuff. And like you said, once I sort of fit the pieces together and, and, and figured that we could actually do this, it was going to be okay. Uh, when I miscarried, it was really heartbreaking. (laughs) It was really heartbreaking. And, uh, yeah, I, I had a hard time with that. Um, what number of miscarriage was that? It was my third miscarriage. Hmm. And I miscarried, my very first pregnancy was a miscarriage. And then I had another miscarriage in there
1: somewhere. Yeah, that. yeah. And it's, you know, I think it's important to kind of just pause there and really remind the women that are listening to this that, you know, miscarriage really comes with the territory with pregnancy. And you you would be hard pressed to find a woman who's had, um, you know, a handful of pregnancies um, that didn't experience a miscarriage. You know, it's extremely common when, especially when you start getting into higher numbered pregnancies, like between five and 10, you know, and beyond. Um,
2: it is. Yeah. And I, I'm sort of, you know, giggling a little bit about it and I don't want to sound um, flippant, which I, I think I, I just did a couple of times. Um, but I do want to say that I think even for individual women miscarriage can occur quite differently at different stages in our lives. So my first miscarriage which was my first pregnancy was utterly devastating for me. I was just I mean I cried for weeks. It was the one of the hardest things I had ever experienced and I was, you know, 19 years old at the time so I hadn't experienced a heck of a lot but but it was incredibly hard and you know the miscarriage that I had a few years ago. I honestly don't even think I really registered it. It wasn't. It was. It. There was a lot going on, and it 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 happened, and then I kind of moved on um, fairly easily. And you know this previous miscarriage surprised me in that I was quite sad about it, but it, but I also was able to you know integrate it fairly fairly well into my life, and I think. Well, actually, now that I say that, uh, I think I did move on in quotes from the experience fairly quickly, in a way. but as I was nearing the birth of of um of our baby um, after I got pregnant and, you know, went through my first and second trimesters, and you know life was life was a little little nuts at that time, lots going on there, too. I think it was as I neared the birth process of my most recent birth that I started to have some emotional stuff come up that I think maybe was related to the miscarriage. So I think some of the fear and apprehension and anxiety that I was feeling as I approached this birth had to do in part with the miscarriage and, you know, just with this idea of loss in general. And, you know, just recently um, as I'm putting together the materials for Through the Veil, I've been, looking over um, all of this footage that I took and and uh, editing um, our baby Ignatius's birth video and that fear of loss I think was really at the forefront of my mind um, not necessarily consciously but um, especially in the birth itself so maybe I should go back a little bit and just talk about how I was feeling a little bit more um, and what happened that initiated the birth so You know, I'd been recording these videos every week that sort of tracked my emotional trajectory through the pregnancy. And, you know, I talk a lot about practical things as well and, you know, how I prepare for my birth processes. And, you know, I think I got, I think it's maybe easy to be an experienced mom and to have given birth quite a few times, especially with the experience recently, um, of birth being really quite straightforward, so uh, our three year old xanthi her birth uh, three years ago was it was very i want to kind of say easy and and fairly fast, as were my previous two births too, so I was sort of gearing up for a birth that to be honest, I was expecting to be as easy and fast and straightforward as my my previous few births. And again, this is a perfect example of just not following my own advice, which is, you know, one of the, the primary, uh, you know, directives um, going into birth is not to have any expectations. And, you know, there I was um, on one hand, you know, feeling increasingly anxious and and kind of stressed about this birth, but then also really fixated on almost the idea that it was definitely going to be very fast, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and very easy. And, and that wasn't, uh, wasn't really the case. Um, so another thing that was very hard for me to deal with, especially this time was just the length of time that I gestate my babies. And, uh, so all of my, all of my previous children were born at around, well, between 42 and 44 weeks um uh, of pregnancy uh which is long-ish but it's not that long you know and this is again something that I've been talking about and, and teaching about for so many years and that's just that this whole idea of the due date is um you know really specious it's not really based in any solid evidence um this whole epidemic of induction that we see in every hospital all over North America and really the world is uh, founded in, I think, really incorrect or, or misleading research and that we should just totally throw out this whole idea of um, you know birth timelines entirely and you know, be, be one with our bodies
1: and uh, And birth unfolds as it should. And because everything is so highly individualized, you know, I've known plenty of women whose normal was to give birth at 36 weeks with all five of their children. Um, And your normal is to give birth between 42 and 44. And so it's only really in the comparison, you know, that we could even begin to put some sort of judgment of long or early on it. Right. So sure. You're at the longer, You're at the farther end, but your normal has provedly been, you know, 42 to 44. So that's just your normal as we know it.
2: Exactly. And one would think that having had so many babies, I would, you know, pretty much have come to terms with that. But no, apparently not. Because as I approached the 43-week mark during this pregnancy, I was just... Out of my mind. I mean, you know that because I called you and I <laughs> and we skyped and uh, video chatted, and I was just, uh, yeah, really kind of um, becoming untethered from, uh, I don't know, sanity in a way, quite, quite truly. But actually, I thought more and more about that too, especially as I've you know been editing all these videos for for through the veil, and it's actually occurred to me more and more really recently that yes it's true that on one hand we want to just you know accept the the, the rhythm of our bodies and 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 the and the timelines of birth or try not to even conceptualize birth as being on a timeline but then I think there's also something that really happens which is that I think we're biologically designed to increasingly yearn for our babies, and I'm starting to think that maybe there's really something adaptive, actually, about going crazy at the end of pregnancy. I don't really mean going crazy, but uh, uh, about um, you know that that sort of heightened level of anxiety, that heightened level of of investment, really. So I think in some ways it's very very normal for for us to feel that way
1: at the end of pregnancy. Well, it's definitely and, normal because we know that almost everyone feels it right so
2: that's right but i guess what i'm trying to trying to do is sort of in in a way to sort of decouple that normal yearning and desire and intensity and, and emotional kind of uh ramping up from the cultural myths yeah. that are layered stress on top of that and the yeah. you know the stress and the negativity but i really i i did get really negative at the end of this pregnancy and i feel i don't know not necessarily regretful but um I don't know there's a sense of sort of wistfulness and and I do this to myself all the time you know I I'm so eager to give birth but then there's also part of me that is already mourning the loss mm-hmm. of the pregnancy and and missing being pregnant and I definitely felt that too I was just so I felt so um conflicted and really mixed up at the end of my pregnancy so you know this and is I, another thing
1: yeah and I think you know facing and navigating the waters of pregnancy after loss runs really deep and nothing, um, nothing really confronts you with our total lack of control like death, right? It's just, it's just like at the heart of a unspoken, you know, often, or even potentially unconscious element of pregnancy and of, you know, looking towards the, the, you know, the journey of birth that, you know, and especially if there's an element of grieving uh, both from a previous pregnancy loss, but even the grieving of a, pre- of a, of a current pregnancy, like you just mentioned of, you know, kind of going through that rite of passage and no longer being pregnant. And it's just a lot. It's like a, that's a lot of energy and of womanhood to navigate at one time. It's a, such a, it's such a, sensitive, vulnerable, delicate, intense, and rich, and deep, uh, you know, kind of pulling of all these different worlds. And, and I think, you know, I I don't think we could talk about it enough that carrying life also means to carry death, you know, and the potential of that. And, you know, having experienced miscarriages and, and, you know, some of that may be coming up. I think that that's just so obvious is the wrong word, it's like so rich, you know, for such a deep experience. And not all of it can be conscious at one time because you are also, you know, having to be very in the world, right? And you have all these other children and you're preparing for um, another unknown, even though you've had seven children, you know, and that's why I love so much that you did this project through the veil because you really put yourself out there and it's not all pretty and it's super... You know it's you, so it's really articulate and insightful and you know intelligent, but it's also really vulnerable and very real and not in a exhibitionist kind of way at all. you know you really are um creating this invitation you know that 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 in this cool you know day and age where it could globally be you know purchased an experience you know of of this big sister of someone who has been there and has had children and has figured lots of stuff out and is still, um, kind of showing us that you don't get out of the work of pregnancy. You don't get out of, um, you know, stepping into the unknown every single time and you, you just display it and invite the viewers in, in such a, um, just vulnerable, inspiring way. I'm really, I'm excited for people to get to see it. And I really honor you for being willing and interested in putting it out there because it's not all pretty, you know, it's super real. And there's something that you offer to the world that, um, you know, no one else is really offering that this was your eighth child. And so there is a level of, um, you know, like you've been working with pregnancy and birth and you're in your own journey since you were 19 years old. And so here you are at the birth of your eighth and, you know, that it was scary and that it was complex and that, um, like you said, I mean, there was kind of this element of what's the right word, kind of darkness or shadow work, you know, there's, it kind of rocked you. Um, and, and that, that, that's not bad, you know, that that's just part of this crazy ass work of being a woman and being, you know, an instrument of life and that you're navigating the spirit realm and, and a large family. And um, yeah, just, it's, it's a very, very, very cool thing. And I think it's going to give a lot of women a sense of companionship um, from this older sister, you know, who, who's right there with you.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, thank you. And, and I, I hope it does. And I think what, what it really, what, 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 what recording the program and thinking about that the program in the midst of my journey, really did too, was it almost illuminated for me that I'm also, in many ways, missing that sense of community. I think, mm. you know, even earlier in our conversation, when we first started talking, I kind of dismissed, you know, I think I said, you know, yeah, I got over the miscarriage pretty quickly, but I actually didn't. And I think that did definitely inform the experience of leading up to my birth process and the birth itself. And even just my my kind of the difficulty that I have in, in acknowledging the significance of that, and how it played into the birth experience, speaks to um, the fact that I, I I'm also kind of missing that 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 really close um, mm-hmm. community of women. Now I'm very lucky. I I I do I have it in many ways, but I think maybe not to the to, not to the degree that you know we all would ideally.
1: I mean, who's not craving that, (laughs) who's not not talking (laughs) about that. And, you know, and obviously that's what you and I are trying really hard to create virtually first because we can access so many people. And then in the offline, you know, create community of what we're building and and it is happening. And, and, you know, things like this are kind of, you know, this through the veil is, is like a bridge into, um, you know the the women that we can't be with, the women that we can't attend their births, and the women that we may never know are still going to get um, this beautiful wisdom and vulnerability and and insight. You know, into an older sister who's going through it. Um, so, with that, mm-hmm. let's kind of move into you know the days uh, approaching Iggy's birth. Yeah.
2: So. By the time I hit 43 weeks, I I was just, uh, and I, I think this is part of the process for everyone. I think this has to happen in order to release our babies. But, you know, I was really just kind of an animal. Um, I couldn't put any clothes on. I couldn't stand anything on my body. <laughs> and luckily, it was summer here in New Brunswick. It was nice and warm out. Um, but I really just kind of paced around and lay around and (laughs) felt grumpy uh, but then but also you know just alternately grumpy and weepy and Mm -hmm. a little just rough around the edges (laughs) in all possible ways it was uh it was hard um and I I think I I was just afraid I don't know why I really I was just afraid of of this birth and what it what it would bring um and so I woke up on the morning of forty three weeks and a day, and uh, I had a huge cry, a huge sort of emotional breakdown. I'd been having quite a few of those and uh, And my kids came in, and they were just they, they were just so sweet to me throughout the whole pregnancy, and you know all all five of our our younger our, oh, sorry our all five of our older children. Um, have always been so much a part of my life in birth um, when it comes to my own pregnancies, but also, you know, the work that I would do for for other women and other families in, in our community. Um, you know, my kids know where my birth bag is, they know what's in it, um, you know, so so they're very well acquainted with every aspect of, of birth um, from a kid's perspective. And, uh, you know, I remember my... My daughter's coming in when I had my little breakdown that morning and just, you know, snuggling me and being there to support me. And that means so much to me, too, because, you know, this is this is what they'll take. This is what they will understand of birth when they're, they're older and having their own babies if they choose to. Um, so, yeah, I had this real, real breakdown. And then for the first time in weeks, actually, that morning, I. I had this sort of catharsis and then, then I felt a real clearing. You know, I felt a real, uh, a real shift in, in kind of my attitude and my, my perspective. And, and I thought to myself, you know, okay, this is fine. I'm like, I just, I just have to get on with my life, you know, because all of this sort of sitting around and pondering and, you know, thinking about birth is, is just it's silly. I'm just wasting my time. And I had a bunch of pots to trim in our pottery studio and uh I just decided that I would go out and get some work done. And I'd sort of been putting it off because I'd been having these intense sensations every Mm -hmm. single day for week after week after week. And so, you know, every day I was sort of poised to Mm. have a baby any moment.
1: That's so intense. And that's normal, right? As the more babies you have, it just starts to feel like you can be in labor at the end for weeks. Exactly,
2: yeah. And I always tell mothers, you know, it's this is just part of the process. You know, you are in your birth process from the moment you become pregnant it's mm-hmm. all you know a continuum uh don't get yourself all worked up <laughs> don't over dramatize everything um you know calm yourself down eat an orange and go have a nap or whatever and uh of course again following your own
1: advice is almost yeah. impossible um and I'm just so
2: ridiculously dramatic it's
0: unbearable yeah,
1: you know, I want to speak to that really quick yes you are and I really see that as an expression of your wild woman you know you are what What one may call dramatic, but, but I don't, you know, it's, it's only that that has this like social connotation of being uh, extreme or I don't know, or attention seeking or something like that. But, but why is any of that bad? Right? Like, of course, of course you're dramatic, you know, especially at the end of a pregnancy, especially your eighth child, you know, at 43 weeks, like who the hell would not be dramatic. And if you're listening to this and you're 43 weeks, please be dramatic. You know, like I see it as a, as a movement of energy. And like you said, you gave yourself the space to have a big emotional cry and then you felt, you know, renewed and, you know, that is a part of this. And that is, When I think about the wild woman, you know, it's not someone like eating dirt in the bush, you know, it's somebody, it's a woman who is willing to explore her edges and, and really find her own, um, expression of chi, you know, and, and, and the edges of what society says, you know, to be tame in, and, and you, you don't do that, you know, and it's, it's awesome. I mean, thank you challenging for your husband, maybe, but you know, he, I'm sure he also absolutely adores the courage he, and, and vulnerability, the vulnerability that it takes to go past the edges of social norms to be fucking dramatic. Like that's.
2: That's awesome! thank you. Thank you. Actually you know, you're, you're absolutely right and I think I think I have this tendency always to be self-deprecating and to kind of oh, you know, I'm just a little bit silly. But you're right. I think dramatics maybe not the right word. I am expressive and you know, I am in touch with my
1: well, it's like it's like the taking back birth movement. We'll take back dramatic. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, reclaim, reclaim, yeah, the drama. reclaim yeah. drama.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's true though. Yeah, dramatic isn't quite quite right. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I I let it I let it uh, out. I'm I am entirely who I am, and and you know I have said that thousands of times before that you know when women are given the space to give birth the peace and and safety of their homes when they're surrounded by people who trust them and love them then they are able to fully express themselves and yeah i am entirely who i am in the birth process and you know it's it's i'm proud actually of of how i give birth and that may sound strange because you know it's not something that one deliberately does. But I think in saying that, I'm really saying that I'm proud of who I am. I think I'm a a, a truthful, you know, heartfelt person. and And that's how I give birth.
1: And you don't yeah. hold back, you know, Pretty even beautiful. if it's, even if it's, the negative, or even if it's that you feel like you're, you know, going crazy at the end of your pregnancy or you need to cry, you know, it's just, we just, we know and have served, you know, I'm just going to speak for you here. Cause I'm sure you didn't escape it either. So many women are so, you know, taught to be so reserved and, and, you know, I've been with women who wouldn't even make a noise in labor, you know, I mean, which is mind boggling to me and, and actually very sad to me, you know, and that it, again, and you're bringing it back to this project. It's so cool that you're putting yourself out there in this way for for women to um witness because it's not this composed you know i don't know like like <laughs> maybe what people would think of you because you're so composed when you write you know and and all of this but that you absolutely are a very wild woman that has a lot of um courage to move move with your energy and that it's not all pretty and bright you know it's it's wild and that's mm-hmm. that's what women need to see
2: yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. And, and, you know, birth, birth is, it, it just right. is wild. That's I mean, really pretty nuts. Okay. And
1: so you're, you're so super pregnant. I'm super you're pregnant. pregnant. You're in the pottery barn. <laughs> I've given up. I'm
2: I'm about, no, I didn't even get to the pottery barn. Uh, okay. really. I really didn't. I'd given up though. And I was like, okay, I'm not having a baby. It's fine. I'm just going to go out and get some work done. And I I think, I think it was partly like enough drama, you know, forget it. No baby. Um, And I had actually, changed my shirt and I'd put on a shirt that I often wear in the pottery studio and it was just as I'd had this sort of sense of calm and like composure quite literally in that moment another sensation kind of racked my body and this time it was a little bit different (laughs) and I just knew in that in that second that that well I, I knew, but I also continued to second guess myself. So I had this very intense sensation and it just felt so different. It felt so strange. And and I said to my kids, like, I don't know what's going on. I think this might be it. And they almost rolled their eyes because they'd been hearing this for weeks and weeks. And um and I went over to sit on the toilet and um and I I wiped and there was blood on the toilet paper and and I really it just I really thought you know, this has to be it. And I called Lee up and, you know, all the kids came in and, and over the next couple of hours, the sensations became more intense and I lost some mucus and some blood. But even, even in, even in that context, at 43 weeks in a day, like blood and mucus coming out of my vagina, I was still saying to everybody, like, I don't know, like maybe it's, it is really isn't it and And I had That's at that you. point kind of gone into that sort of you just become a little bit a little bit i don't know i was in in a different zone already, even while I was still second guessing myself and um and yeah, and it i kind of this this went on for a couple of hours, this sort of um you know limbo state where you know I knew something was happening, and the, the Feelings were intense, but I still was second guessing myself. But then I started to think, okay, this is it. This is really going to happen. And so I guess the baby's gonna be here any moment. And I had really fallen into that that trap of of applying the rationale of time mm. to this this experience that kind of occurs outside of any of those um, structures. Like it, yeah. it really can't be when you start to, you know, think about how long you've already been in it or how much longer you're going to be in it. That's, it's just very dangerous territory because oh, it can get so discouraging. For, yeah. It's such a recipe for disaster. And, and it's was,
1: part of, it's part of the way, many ways we are trained to upper limit our experience right like it's yeah. it's the, it's one of the quickest ways in our heads to convince ourselves um, that things shouldn't be what they are
2: right exactly quantifying any aspect of the birth process and it's interesting too because you know I write a lot about um, you know all of these. Procedures and processes that that are part of the industrial obstetric model that are so incredibly counterproductive. So, for example, the the cervical exam, you know, is one one of those things that you know is is a standard feature of um, prenatal care and and of of the birth process itself. I think, you know, in in many hospitals, you know, women have their cervixes measured, you know, every half hour. It's even standardized to the point that it's administered. You know, within a certain time frame, throughout the process, and and so you know, I I reject all those models. I'm like, I'm, I'm I'm above all that, <laughs> sort of, but not really, because right. during Same. birth, as as I'm you know screaming and crying and you know and all of that happened too. You know, I was very weepy in these first early hours of the birth, but there I was also like I kept shoving my hand up my vagina to like. Like figure out where the baby was, right? right. Like, and it's not—it's not quite the same as a cervical exam, but it's very similar. You know, I'm right. I'm
1: constantly assessing, and, and I mean, and at you're least of, you're doing it yourself. At least. <laughs> <Yeah. You're the laughs> doing it you know, and and we can get to this later too, but I want to make sure to kind of ask you to speak on, uh, how, like how did you come to generate the courage to carry your babies you know so late wh- where where the rest of the world would say you need to induce and you need to you know like how how did you overcome the hurdle of aligning with that you do carry your babies uh in in what is considered in you know the the mainstream culture to be um way outside of bounds of what's appropriate or safe how did you kind of wrap your head around that
2: Oh, no. I mean, I didn't come to terms with anything or wrap my head around anything. I really was so incredibly lucky just to have had a birth attendant during my first pregnancy who understood the facts and was able to present to me information that um, helped me to... Understand intellectually how birth works, first of all. So, you know, Gloria LeMay, who was my, um, my birth attendant during my first two, two babies' births, as well as my teacher and mentor, and she educated me while I was pregnant with that first baby. But all of the education she provided me meant nothing, and I was beside myself and going nuts. And she, uh, in, I mean, if not for her, I'm sure I would have just gone to the hospital like, please cut my baby out of my body. I couldn't, I can't, I can't do this. She insisted that I, you know, she, I don't want to say she forced me to do anything because she really didn't, but. um, She normalized it. it. She normalized it for me, but no, it wasn't even that. It was like, she really, at the end of my pregnancy, she had to have some severe discussions with me over the phone saying, look, you know, you're going to wreck your birth. Mm. If you don't calm yourself down and wait, this is not going to work for you. And I'm so grateful for that. It was really absolutely true. And it's her voice in my head that I hear mm. you know, now, almost 20 years later, as I'm pregnant with my eighth baby, having the same, you know, breakdown. And, and you know, it is scary, um, again, because of all those cultural, all that cultural baggage, but also because as mammals, near the end of our pregnancies, we need to get our babies out. It's that there's a, there's a, a physiological, biological Kind of a um, effect of of having these heavy, increasingly heavy infants inside our bodies, and I think the design is that we are so uh, desperate to give birth at the end of pregnancy that you know that that's part of what fuels the the um, you know hormonal cascade mm-hmm. that allows birth to proceed normally. So, so no, I mean it, it's still very hard for me even now. Um, so I have every I, I totally understand women who who choose induction because if you don't have that foundation of of education and if you don't have support and if you don't have community and if you don't have people around you who are you know on your side who understand birth, it's it's almost almost impossible, I think things got more intense, and I started, uh, I don't know, just screaming and <laughs> really just screaming. Um, I'm a big screamer. and It was just very hard. Uh, The physical sensations felt excruciating and I felt like I was going to die. I felt like I kind of wanted to die. It was so, so hard. And
1: how long was the whole birth?
2: Well, it felt very, very long. And compared to my recent births, it was quite long. So from the moment that I had that first sensation that told me things were different, um, it was about five hours. And so the last two hours of the experience were. Me pushing. And this birth was so similar to my very first birth and so different from all of the births that came after. Because all of my more recent births involved, you know, a kind of a bit of a birth process with, you know, some intense sensations. And then I would have a couple, like maybe two or three pushing sensations. And then the fetal ejection reflex would just completely take over my body and my wow. baby would be expelled. Oh my gosh. And I was expecting that to happen in this case as well. And it just didn't. And I pushed for you know a good two or two and a half hours with this baby. So and what
1: do you mean when you say that? Like when so when you got to the point where, like, how if you didn't have the fetal ejection reflex, how did you know? It sounds like you were kind of on pushing like how how did we navigate I navigate that you just knew that it was time to do it and the baby was there
2: well oh yeah so my water broke about 2 hours before the baby was born and in previous births for me as well my waters had released often just prior to the baby coming out mm. And so I was kind of expecting, again, that this would follow that pattern. And when my water broke on the bed, it was just mud. It was like just, it was meconium. Uh Um, And again, you know, that's something that has a lot of symbolism in our culture. Um, Meconium stained amniotic fluid can also be associated with a baby that's having some issues.
1: You're also 43 weeks
2: and i'm also 43 weeks yeah. pregnant so you know all of those things together to be expected i would imagine are that. yeah are are normal um i think very normal but also possibly related to issues anyway i wasn't too i wasn't too concerned about seeing the 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 water that would stain with meconium but i also recognized that you know that i i i interpreted that as a sign that my baby was about to be born Mm -hmm. and that my baby really probably needed to be born, um, relatively soon. And so that's also when I kind of started to feel the pushing sensation. Um, but it just kept going on and on, you know, it wasn't 10 minutes later. And again, part of, part of that was that I was sort of stuck in this, this assessment mode. Um, but as it continued and as I kept, Pushing like I was pushing out my very first baby, which in my case was just excruciating, immense effort, like actively pushing, Mm. like my life depended on it, just desperately pushing, just this incredible output of, you know, not only physical labor, um, but, you know, emotional and mental exhaustion, really. Uh, I just kept getting more and more sort of agitated internally and, and more and more afraid and Mm -hmm. nothing was happening. And I kept putting my hands in my vagina and I, I could feel the baby's head, but it felt so far away. And, you know, that's another thing about being, um, a woman who's had many babies is that it is actually often very normal for the baby to stay fairly high up in, um, in the birth canal prior to to emergence but somehow psychologically like feeling my baby like a whole hand away was just it was very hard to deal with
1: and right there i mean that's kind of the whole point that i love about your story that you have all this wisdom you've all this experience you're a birth worker you know that you know and and obviously i've only had one child but i had a similar experience in my birth where i just forgot everything that logically i knew and I just couldn't make sense of what was happening. But I promise you, if I had been an attendant at that birth, I would have been like, babe, this is literally the most normal thing I've ever seen. And so, yeah, same thing. I mean, how many women text us, oh, the baby's so high, but I'm pushing, you know, I don't know what's going on. And then five minutes later, the baby's born, you know, so yeah. it's, I, I just, I want to just point that out because it's one of my most favorite parts of your story that, um, and the through the veil, you know, course that you made that you don't get out of this. That birth just does something and works you on such a deep level that it's so new every freaking time, and it's very hard, if not impossible. In fact, it's counterproductive to try to apply, um, you know, all this like logic to it because we're actually like unable to a lot exactly. of the time
2: exactly yeah it and it is really counterproductive and i was definitely doing that and in a similar way to you know kind of having to get over even the idea of having a baby in order for my birth process to begin i the same sort of thing had to happen um for me to in the end give birth so you know there i was pushing and straining and just And, oh, and another thing too, my husband, I could, my husband was right there with me and I was desperate for his presence. I was, I felt like, I just felt so terrified and so vulnerable and like I needed him. I needed him there like I have never needed anyone before at any point. And like, even if he sort of shifted his body or like, like reached over to... I would be like, no, no, don't go. Please don't go. I need you here. It really was quite pathetic. And I don't mean that in a negative
1: way, but just like very. And how, I wonder, I wonder how that is, I'm like picturing being Lee and having, you know, you've had all these children with him and then you're really scared and you're really, you know, clingy or really needing Mm -hmm. him you know, did he ever relay to you if that felt scary to him?
2: Well, certain parts of the birth were scary to him. I'll, I'll mention that in a couple minutes. But, but at the at this point, when I'm in the pushing stage, um, I was expressing all of this to him verbally as well. So, you know, even in the video, there's, there's segments of, of the video and part of, part of the video that I share in in Through the Veil where I'm, I'm saying to him, like, God, I don't think I can do this. Like, I just can't do it. Like, it's, I'm too scared. I'm scared. Like, I can't, Mm. I can't handle it. I'm terrified. Like, please help me. You've got to help me. Begging him to help me. And yeah, I can imagine that for him as my support person, that would be, I'm not sure. I mean, I, yeah, hard, perhaps very hard. Um, But Lee's very stoic, and he's
1: mm-hmm.
2: he's a very steady presence. Like,
1: and it know, ain't so his like, first rodeo. You know, yeah, it's, it's
2: like, not his first time around. No, and you know, I, I have a I have a way of birthing. Yes, this birth mm-hmm. was quite different for me, but you know, my my attitudes and and responses are are similar. Similar. Yeah, because you
1: you share the audio of Zan's birth in a podcast that you did for your Ba Housewife podcast. And it's, I mean, it's pretty intense. It's definitely like screaming for help and, you know, screaming for him to help you. So I guess that's true. It wasn't, even though this was a very different birth and, and you might've been feeling more fear than with Zan's birth, you know, maybe if you're just hearing it, maybe it wasn't all that... Uh,
2: that's true. Actually, that's really interesting. I think, I think all of my births would probably come across to a viewer or a listener as very similar, but I remember sharing Xanthi's, uh, or maybe it was Felix's, yeah, Felix's birth video um, somewhere, and someone wrote to me and said, uh, you know, I just watched your birth video. Thank you so much for sharing. It's so generous of you, and I felt so bad for you because clearly yeah. you were in the most excruciating pain of your life. And I got this message and just thought, what on earth is she talking about? I love that birth. Like I felt so great through the whole thing. But yeah, it looks it looks yeah. but I felt it that way during this birth and I was begging leave for help and you know, asking God for this or that.
1: I wanted you to speak to I noticed in the photos and obviously I've seen the video now that you you seem to have chosen to be on your back. Can you speak about that a little bit?
2: I did, yeah. So so at first during the pushing stage, I was up on my knees and kind of upright on my hands and knees, and that's how I usually give birth. Uh, but at, at a certain point, one, I think one of the sensations was just so mind-blowingly uh, just otherworldly excruciating that I kind of collapsed backwards. And I was sort of resting between my sensations on my back. And then the sensations began again and I just, I wasn't able to get up. Like at one point I tried to get up and I just, I couldn't. And I think that's also when I had this experience of just the, the sensations were, and this is funny. I've never really, I've always, I've always avoided using the word pain to describe birth sensations. Cause I feel that they're kind of in a separate category, but God, this was painful. It was painful. It was. It was so painful that I actually dissociated from my body. Like I, I really left my body, and during it the was pushing. almost during this pushing. And I, it was. I was almost like it was so. It was. I couldn't. It was so impossible for me to like survive. I felt like I couldn't survive it, and I just had to go. And in some ways, like lying, just lying on my back was the only way that I could like, Mm. like I didn't, I I had no control over my body. So at one point I remember I tried to get up and that's when I sort of fell back down and, and then left my body. And I, Mm. I like, I wasn't able to control my body to get up again. And, um,
1: but in a way, couldn't we call that also like the point where you deeply surrendered? Yes, exactly. I think I
2: had to get to that point in order for my baby to emerge but it wasn't so much as an emergence as as like I felt in this sort of disembodied state like my head was over there and my body was over here and I sort of I sort of um I don't know I just felt this strange this like I I had forgotten too that I was even having a baby like I was just like I I I was dying I felt like I was dying Hmm. and I I was I'd given up you know and um and then I felt this weird sort of rubbery feeling like it really was like what the hell is that rubbery thing between my legs like I didn't even understand it I was so out of it and I and then I had to sort of I had to sort of say like yo uh that's you giving birth like I had to kind of remind myself that Mm -hmm. there was something going on here and I I put my hands down between my legs and I felt my baby's head but even as by even as the baby's head was crowning like it wasn't it 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 wasn't just emerging the way that all of those other babies had you know it was kind of it was just inching out and mm-hmm. so I remember putting my hands between my legs and like opening my vulva myself and just like trying to get it out and I remember that kind of that phrase in my head like get it out at one point I think I said to Lee just like get it out out. (laughs) (laughs) and I was clawing like clawing at my at my yoni Mm -hmm. and and I just couldn't like I felt like I couldn't like I had no leverage like it wasn't coming out and I was I was absolutely hysterical and frantic but I'd stopped screaming at this point Mm -hmm. so I was like there was sort of a like there were all these different layers going on in my psyche. So on one hand I was calm, but then internally I felt like I was freaking out completely. Mm. And I also felt like the baby was stuck. There was a very strong feeling of stuckness. And I did know that in order to make things move, that I had to move. So Mm. I couldn't lift my body up but I was almost feeling, it almost felt like I was trying to sort of levitate from my belly. So I was like arching backwards on my back. And then I lifted my leg at one point, And I instructed Lee to pull on my leg. But I realized now that like, he didn't know what, like pull? Like how do you, like what yeah. way? It just didn't, it made no sense. So he had my leg in the air. And then I had my other, you know, dear friend who was there kind of like pulling on my leg the other way. And then finally the head emerged and I could feel that the head had come out, but it still felt incredibly uncomfortable. And I I could finally breathe. So I remember like panting at that point once the head emerged, but then still feeling like things were stuck. It was just so weirdly difficult.
1: <laughs> well, it, like, it was like he almost wasn't participating. You know, it seemed like in watching, obviously, you know better than I did because I've only seen the video, but it seemed... Like you really had to birth him. It wasn't like he birthed himself like so many babies do. Does that feel true?
2: It does. And what happened next really um, illustrates that because finally his shoulders, um, you know, he, he, uh, he, he rotated, or the, his body rotated, and his shoulders emerged, but he was born to his belly button. And he stayed that way for a few seconds, and at that point, I was just like <laughs> there was sort of like this this like calm, conscious part of me that was just sitting there, just going like, "What the fuck is this like yeah. what is this? This is ridiculous and so finally i again clawing at his body to try to get him out. And then, it, and then, finally, you know, this thing came out of me. This—it wasn't a baby in my head at that point. You know, I was just like, I just needed to be free of this. This—it's just, just like a, wet
1: fish. <laughs> this was, yeah, <laughs> terrible thing to say, but like, it really felt
2: like I, I had just lo- I completely lost track of what the purpose of all of this was. So, I mean, it doesn't I'm, sound terrible. It sounds really primal. It was very primal. It was very real. It was just so real. And I had to get it out. And finally, it, it, it came out. And I felt this sense of physical relief. And I just lay back. And I kind of like, I think I even, i it was really only a matter of seconds, honestly. It was not a And you can't really perceive this in the video very well at all because it's so quick. But in my mind, like it could have been I could have slept for like five hours, mm-hmm. you know? I, I think I might've almost blacked out for a moment it just in, you know, in just sort of shock and relief. And and I kind of came to, because I heard Lee's voice and he was saying, yo, get your baby. He's tapping me. Yeah. <sighs> get your baby, get your baby. And his voice was so, like, he's very quiet all the time. and And it's almost like, especially if there's an emergency or, or, or you know, something that needs, needs an immediate response, Lee gets even more calm. So it was like, get your baby, get your baby. But just the subtle kind of intonation of his voice, like the, li- the, the, the lilt in his voice at the end of, of that sentence, right away I was like, oh, what's going on? Like why is he what? Why is he saying really?
1: Oh, I have goosebumps because yeah. in the yeah. video it's very quick, like you just it's said. So
2: quick in the video, I know, but but it really like I think I would have you just have gone left. to sleep. I left. I yeah. was gone, and I'd never had that experience before. Actually, wow, never, in any of my births, I've that's always that's Yo, it was tense. I've always felt totally clear and completely engaged immediately upon birthing all of my other babies this baby I was out and Lee had to wake me up and I remember sitting up and looking between my legs and there was a white the baby was not breathing at all when I looked up and yet I, I didn't experience any fear. Like all of the fear that I'd had leading up to the birth through the pregnancy leading up the, in, and in during the birth itself, the fear was gone. I was just I remember feeling really really curious. Like, oh, the baby's white and not breathing. And then I said, "Wake up, baby." Just like that. Like and actually that that part's in the video too and like my voice is very kind of clear and And almost curious, just, wake up, baby. And I kind of felt the baby. I put my hands on the baby. And then I just, without thinking, I just picked him up and put the baby on my chest. And that's when he woke up. And he gave a little cry. And at that point, I started to cry. And... And then it was almost immediately after that that I started to shake and sweat, and I was absolutely in complete shock. Mm. Um, and uh, and it was this amazing kind of uh, totally um, intermingling feeling of 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 just trauma. Like I felt traumatized. I felt Mm -hmm. totally shocked. My body felt absolutely wrecked. I felt pain actually. Um, Like after that sort of like bubble of like, oh my goodness, I had a baby and you don't feel anything. I did actually start to feel a lot of pain right after that. But then also just complete euphoria like I was so happy I was so relieved I was so completely in love with this amazing little baby who had kind of come to life in front of my eyes and again this was the first time I'd ever had that experience all of my previous babies even my very first baby which that was much a much it was like a 50 hour long birth and seven hours of pushing he was born pink and screaming. Mm. So, and and I've seen all of those, I've seen all of, all of, I've seen the whole spectrum as a birth witness as well. You know, I, I mean, I saw a woman, um, I witnessed a woman push for over 14 hours quite seriously with the baby sitting crowning on her distended perineum for five hours. I'm not making this up. And during that birth as a witness, I was like, uh, this this is not gonna be good. Like this is I'm probably gonna need to call nine one, you know. I I I was worried that the baby wasn't gonna be born alive. And that baby tumbled out pink and screaming, you know. And so I've seen all of these various configurations, but in my own births, it it never crossed my mind that my babies wouldn't be born with like 10, 10 app cars, you know. Um, So it was really a shock, but I was so, so relieved and so ecstatic and, um, and in so much excruciating pain afterwards. And it was just, it was incredibly, incredibly intense.
1: Both of your spirits like weren't in this realm together, you know, and then it's so beautiful and kind of symbolic that when he gets brought to your chest, which didn't happen immediately that was kind of when you both came to and he starts to cry and you start to cry and you start to come back into the room and come back into your body and start to have this wide variety of, of feeling and experience, you know, it's like, as you tell the story, it really, even, you know, with the birth and how kind of strange it was and how you, you know, wound up not being able to get up and laying on your back and, and, you know, doing all this pushing. And, and then he just kind of, falls out white and you know it just seems like you guys both kind of traveled somewhere whether it was together or not but but the coming back together it just it's so cool and you really see it in the video like you both came back into your bodies together
2: yeah that's so true and I I just feel like there is so much amazing richness for me to work with in this birth and I I really haven't figured it out. I, I almost, you know, I've kind of been putting off, I put off for a while writing History story and I I felt a little anxious about doing this chat with you because I really haven't figured it out. And I don't know if there is anything to figure out, if there's any way that I'll ever be able to, you know, verbalize or, or make sense of, of what happened. But it was a very, very strange and interesting and profound and, and really very moving journey and you know what I think struck me afterwards especially was how grateful I am that I experienced that birth the way that it was at home and with the people around me that I that I'd chosen to be with me because I know sadly from experience that that kind of birth where Mm. the baby is not born responsive in any institutional setting or or even, um, you know, often with uh, midwives, you know, very well-meaning midwives at home, the response would have been so, so very different from what it was in our case. And I'm so grateful that no one touched him, that no one did anything, you know, that no one cut the cord immediately, went off to deep suction him in the corner of the room, which is, you know, a standard response.
1: In the home birth setting, you know, if a midwife had been there believing she needed to hero, you know, this experience with kind of a funky pushing stage and you on your back, kind of leaving, you know, energetically leaving the body, you know, there's something when, you know, when we talk about experiencing trauma in birth from from a physiological, you know, experience, the fact that nobody took anything from you guys, you know, that you, you did go through this underworld kind of, you know, almost dark experience together, but that nothing interrupted what happened next and the coming back together and meeting each other back in this realm, that that was totally undisturbed. I mean, that's how you've been able, I would say, to move forward into what I've witnessed to be a very blissful and euphoric and powerful postpartum, which could have been so easily taken and and confused, you know, if you hadn't have gotten um, the normal, you know, mother-baby pause and coming back together and him crying on your chest and you being the first one to speak to him and the power of the story that you look down at, at this little white thing and said, wake up baby. And, you know, that stuff very rarely gets to happen in the presence of, of medical midwives because they are trying to hero the whole situation. And and your story is such a good reminder that nothing needed to be heroed, you know, and that, that, you guys kind of got to have this complete circle of coming back together on the outside.
2: It's so true. And, you know, I see that kind of heroing taking place even in free births with overzealous partners and, mm-hmm. you know, doulas or friends who, you know, want to, again, who have the best of intentions, but who, you know, don't necessarily understand that kind of transfer of, uh, life almost that that, yeah. that can sometimes need to happen and you know after the fact i i spoke with um you know, i had 3 actually um women friends who were there helping to juggle our kids it's all in the video um <laughs> and uh i spoke with those three friends and I, I i talked to lee as well and you know i sort of i asked them what what how they um how they received the the experience how they um interpreted it and um, they all basically said that yeah they thought the baby was dead you know and and they all they all were thinking to themselves like she needs to get up and get her baby we don't want to step in we know who she is you know we know yo. we know how she feels about all this but like give it another couple seconds and if she doesn't you know we're going to maybe want to do something and I'm just so grateful that that no one did you know that I that I was given that space to to experience the birth as it was and another thing that this really reinforced to me too Emily which I think is really important is that in the absence of an underlying condition or you know a, a serious uh a serious complication, like some kind of um you know accidental cord compression, what have you, even babies that are born without good color, you know white, non-responsive, their lifeline is their umbilical cord, so if that's left alone, they're still receiving blood and oxygen from the cord, and you know, we're just so well equipped to tolerate the birth process. And you know, we you and I were talking about this before too. And you know, I I see lots of birth videos too. And I again this is so personal. I don't want this to be taken as, you know, any kind of judgment or something that should be applied to all births across the board. But I've been asked actually why I didn't give my baby breath um during those first couple of moments. And
1: because he didn't need it. (laughs) Really it's because he just didn't need it. Like
2: I think I think if you know it it is fully in my experience it's it's well within the realm of normal for babies to require a few seconds or mm-hmm. you know a minute or two of, of space just to become acquainted with the outside world i mean they've done this incredible journey themselves and you know that's how birth is designed birth is designed to allow for uh you know allow for
1: babies to kind of compose themselves to organize themselves lots to, of babies are born at home that I've witnessed are born quite stunned and not breathing. Yeah. Uh, And within five minutes, you know, they're pink and and screaming and breathing and crying. And so, you know, obviously, you know, my daughter was also born very stunned, very floppy, uh, you know, somewhat white. And yeah, I didn't feel inspired to give her breaths either. Just It just seemed totally normal. And it wasn't like we were talking about five minutes in you know, knowing that she very much has a lifeline and that nothing's going to interrupt that. So I guess the last piece I'm wondering is I wanted to circle back to this idea of you, of you sharing with, with, you know, our community that you didn't in fact have an undisturbed birth or a physiological birth. What does that mean to you? What, what part wasn't, what part was uh, uh, disturbed and what part wasn't physiological?
2: Yeah. I mean, this is such a complicated thing. I, I think mostly, I think I just disturbed myself. I think I, I was, and it sounds like a Does that count? I don't know. I don't know if that counts, but you know, on top of that, uh, yeah, this was a birth experience where I had three friends with me, all of whom were absolutely wonderful. You know, they weren't, um, they weren't actively, you know, disturbing me, but... I talk about this a lot too, you know, anyone who's there witnessing a birth is going to affect the atmosphere and the environment and, you know, is going to have an impact on how that birth plays out. And just simply having people there. Um, well, being, that,
1: Yeah. And then it's like, can it even be undisturbed if you're filming and taking photos? You know, there's something oh inherent. Yeah you know, to knowing you're being observed by cameras and video that I wonder Yeah, in this, I mean, it's kind of just like, it doesn't even really matter, I guess, but then what is an undisturbed birth? Like, do, can you only do that alone? You know, like, where is that? There is the line. I don't know. I don't think there really is a line. And I think it's, um,
2: I don't, I don't, I, I love that we're talking about this and I think it's important to talk about it, but not in order to kind of categorize anything or, or, or anything like that. Um, I just think it's a useful conversation because, because I think that the more that we talk about this stuff, the more women can actually make active choices as to how they want their births to be. And I know that having cameras set up definitely affected the, the experience for me. And, you know, there is something to be said for, uh, you know, really protecting your space as much as possible and ensuring that, you know, you're in the dark, that the people who are around you are, are only your most intimate, um, you know, family members. And, you know, I had bright lights, I had cameras, I had three people outside of our family, people who I love and feel close to, but they're not, you know, part of our immediate family. Uh, and I had my five older kids running in another room, mm. <laughs> jumping all over me um you know offering me their delightful and often very irritating love and support throughout and i think all of that contributed to the length of the birth and and the way that the birth played out and
1: have have any of your previous children could you classify any of your births as like truly undisturbed
2: I don't know, I mean, it is a hard question because I do think that probably my own births have all been far less disturbed than a lot of totally births out there, you know, and again, it's not um it's not a question of superiority whatsoever. I just think that it's important to again, you know be really honest about birth because it's not really. Uh, personal it really is a biological process and uh, and we know from having an understanding of you know the science and physiology of birth that lights are not just an aesthetic difference for example right lights have a profound physiological effect on you know how our nervous system functions and you know whether or not our body is able to produce the kind of hormones that will allow a baby to, you know, allow the fetal ejection reflex for example to to take place. So, you know, I uh I it's important to me to talk about my own births in in this manner because I get confronted all the time with with women who feel really personally insulted, I think, by this sort of assessment of, of how a birth works. Um, and I just want to be an example of, you know, it's, it's not personal. It's fine with me to acknowledge that, no, the birth wasn't undisturbed. The choices that I made contributed to, you know, maybe the length of time that it took for him to come out.
1: Well, every choice you made contributed to everything, right? So for sure. I mean, choosing (laughs) to have three people, there, cameras, your kids, all of that created what became your birth experience. So Mm -hmm. duh, right? That's not, that's not bad. That's just every choice we make contributes to the results that happen. Absolutely. And we can't, you know, we can't act like they don't. However, I think it's absolutely imperative that we make a very clear distinction for the women listening to this conversation, um, of what is a disrupted birth when a stranger um, or or a hired you know midwife or whatever wants to do a vaginal exam um, on your back when that wasn't in your flow you know or somebody uh not honoring your space and coming in in the middle of a wave and asking you a question or turning on the light you know those. Those feel very obviously part of a disruption um, of a physiological experience when the mama wants to be introspective and wants to be in her bed and wants things to be quiet, you know, to have what you and I, you know, well, certainly me, because I've served women in the system so much. I don't know if you've seen it too much, I guess maybe with partners, um, you know, with this kind of disconnection and and dishonor of the space. um, That to me feels like a very obvious distinction of where a birth gets disrupted versus, I don't think we really need to go too far into when it's a family-centered mother-led birth and you're surrounded by your children and you want your children there and you want these three women there. You know, that feels very different to me if we're going down this road of what is disrupted. It's like, okay, well, everything's disruptive, right? If you're not like by yourself in the dark with nothing happening, you know, a, a disrupted but still... Mother-led, integrated family birth of your choosing and of your um, making—that feels like a really important distinction to make than than an authority saying it's time for me to assess your cervix with my fingers, get on your back, or it's time for me to do Doppler you while you're you know traveling the freaking underworld in your birth tub. You know those are hugely different uh, kind of ways to quantify a disruption.
2: Thank you, absolutely, and I think what i what i think you're talking about uh, what you're talking about in my mind is power yeah and this is one of the reasons why i will never use the word empowerment um uh, seriously because <laughs> empowerment is when women kind of reframe these experiences of, of, of being subjected to an outside authority uh, so that we can make it sound and feel nice, whereas power is actually objective. And during my birth with Ignatius, I definitely had all of the objective power. Mm-hmm. Like you said, no one... Uh, no one infringed on my space at all. No one touched me if I didn't want to be touched. No one talked right. to me if I didn't want to be spoken to. I was initiating everything right. that's completely honored and respected exactly. And
1: and that that is the gold standard. That is when we, in in my mind, when we talk about, you know, we said it at the beginning of the of this show. I think we we see in our community, and 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 we kind of it feels to me like people think that we think that free birth is this gold standard, you know, like perfect outcome to achieve or to get, and I would say no because I've seen plenty of free birth sabotage. I've seen plenty of free births um not not actually centering the woman and ha- and the woman holding the objective power and to me, if there were were to be a gold standard of of what we're trying to talk about and protect, it is the woman. You know, emerging from her birth, looking back on her birth, going, "Yes, I was honored. I was respected. I was um, kind of at the top of the. I was kind of the, mm-hmm. you know, producer of the show. Um, no one was there that I didn't want there. Nobody, uh, you know, nobody took anything from me. Yeah, I,
2: I don't know. I think that that's an interesting. Yes, yes, but we hear that a lot from women who are giving birth in the hospital, and I. Fully accept and, and appreciate that many women choose to give birth in the hospital, but I would argue that it's not possible as a birthing woman to actually have objective power in the hospital environment because the system doesn't allow for that. I definitely was the authority in, in the experience, and I think that's evidenced by the fact that even when my baby was born, you know. Um, Non-responsive. Uh, I was still given the space to take care of that situation the way I saw fit, which I really appreciate so much. And uh, and you're right, absolutely. The I do connect the fact that my postpartum with him um, has been so amazing and so so blissful with the the kind of birth that I was fortunate enough to have, and and that's despite the fact that. Oh my goodness! I had the most horrendous hemorrhoids. I had pelvic floor prolapse. I had like a whole bunch of really gnarly physical um, issues after his birth. But um, even despite that, um, my emotional experience uh, mothering him during his first couple of months has been just
1: out of this world, amazing. And I think we can't, you know, we can't ignore or avoid the fact that nothing was taken from you. Right. Right. And so, especially in kind of a funky birth with a baby born, uh, relatively lifeless with a mama who, you know, maybe for the first time, like checked out of her body and took a while to come back to, especially in a bit of a funky birth, the fact that nothing was taken from you, I think allowed for, you know, the normal cycle of, of bonding and and bliss and euphoria that came afterwards. Um, you know, and this gets into, and of course, we'll talk so much about this in our radical birthkeeper training, you know, how how to hold space without taking, you know, and without without um, God, just the the long-term harm that, like you said, well-meaning midwives um and partners, you know, can can cause in this mother baby uh really intense, uh sometimes underworld kind of dark uh situation, you know, delivery and birthing together, um, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's a conversation for another time, but just how many women share with us that they're, um, that, that the midwives, you know, stole that moment from them and, and the grieving that happens around that. And if, you know, how many, how many, I mean, we can't even handle it on Instagram. How many gloved hands are like, I saw one the other day, this is like this totally normal water birth with this baby just slipping out. And the mom is just totally chill, just her arm, you know, legs open, and and she's watching her baby emerge. She's she's sitting back against the you know edge of the tub, and then there's just these like awkward gloved hands kind of coming in the side to just guide the baby out of the mother and up to the mother. It was like it's the most unnecessary shit I have ever seen in my life, and it I think I might have sent it to you, And, and you know, obviously we see this all the time, and it's like, can you really, as that midwife, can you really explain to me why those hands needed to be there? Like, Because there's no good reason when we're mm-hmm. honoring and understanding mother baby. And just that little piece of that the mother's story is going to be that the midwife took the baby, you know, and put the baby up on her. And so the, mid, the, the mama didn't get to experience um, that really important piece, you know, of, of, bringing the baby up and, and assessing the baby herself and being the one, you know, that the baby goes from inside to outside. Um. Absolutely right. Being given, you know, being
2: allowed to have that space to encounter my baby, to be the person who encounters her baby. So That's important. So, so precious. It's so important. And, and you're absolutely right. It's almost, I almost never, I, there's just, it's, constant, the, the, the stream of images and imagery and videos of completely interfered upon totally unnecessarily exactly heroed is just, it's really, really difficult. I just went off earlier today on Instagram about the same sort of thing.
1: (laughs) There's definitely a spectrum, you know, in the hospital, it's what we would, you know, classify as, as, um, you know, on the spectrum of, of sexual assault and, and, it's way more intense and aggressive than, you know, the, the like awkward gloved hands that are just guiding this baby, like a baby needs to be guided. Like you just know? need to touch a little bit. I just you need know, to touch a little bit. Like Make sure that my gloved hands are in the photo, you know, that are going <laughs> to go viral, you know, that anyway. And, and that's another part of why I love that you're sharing this, you know, in through the veil that, um, your baby, you know, it, it's an interesting delivery. It's an interesting birth. It's an interesting emergence with, with you kind of laying back and him just kind of coming out and and kind of in a weird way, you know, and nobody's there. I mean, obviously your husband's there, people are there, but nobody is catching, you know, and I love that he's born actually just onto the bed and we don't see a lot of those images of of babies just being born onto the mat or onto the grass or onto the earth or onto the bed like how we've done you know forever and is is actually quite normal in um in in many, you know, undisturbed births, but we don't see a lot of images of that. No,
2: that's right. And actually, another thing, I just, I love that, you know, I specifically, with all of my births, my husband's number one job is to get the poo. Like, Mm -hmm. just get the poo. I just want you to get the poo because I poop constantly while I'm giving birth, as most of us do. And so, you know, he knows he's been very well, I would say well-trained. I don't mean that um, disparagingly. I am quite serious. Like, I have trained my husband to be an excellent traditional birth attendant. He's a fantastic traditional birth attendant. Yeah. He doesn't say a word. Mm-hmm. He doesn't speak unless he's spoken to and requested to speak. You know, he won't touch me unless I'm begging him to touch me or telling him what to do. And you know, even during this emergence, he is there, you know, like D- taking away the, the poop baby wipes, my bumhole, the baby wipes, with the baby wipes, and he does not. T- he doesn't go near the baby's head, which is you know an inch away. It's like mm-hmm. he's. It's so respectful, and I, I appreciate it so much. And I'm so excited about our radical birth keepers training course that, that we're um, initiating coming up because I get messages from yeah. birth workers all the time, and they message yeah. me to you know thank us for the work that I'm doing that that we're doing. And also to say, you know, that they're desperate to learn an entirely new and different way of serving women so that they are, you know, in a position of leadership, but not authority over women. Right. And there's such a different, you know, there's such an important distinction there. I think, you know, if we can be leaders as birth workers in our communities, then we can truly serve women without being authoritarian and there's a difference too i think be, between being an authority in the birth process but you know understanding birth and and having some authority in terms of how to discuss birth and how to teach about birth and how to educate families about birth versus assuming that we are an authority over a birthing woman which should never ever, ever be the case.
1: Well, and it's going to be so fun to use all of these tools that we've been really playing with around the drama triangle. And, you know, we've mentioned the, the position of hero quite a bit in this conversation and, you know, that that there's hero, victim, and villain, and and that so much of midwifery and uh, obstetrics is and the medical paradigm in general is uh, really committed to being below the line in the position of hero. And so, you know, how to attend birth above the line, as our as Yolanda and I's mentor would, would say, um, you know, and how what is the position? What is the reflecting position of hero, but above the line without an agenda, you know, and that, that to me is the authentic midwife. That to me is, um, you know, the lighthouse leader in your community. That to me is the, the coach or the teacher or, um, you know, or even the guru. What does guru mean? You know, to bring from darkness to light. And so um, it's really exciting to use to, you know, to really get clear for us of how to how to integrate those tools in a whole new uh, model of loving and serving women where, get this, everybody, shocker, the woman's actually centered. (laughs) What? (laughs) You know, it's like, why is that so hard to find in a training? My God. But don't worry, everybody. We're creating it. It'll be available next year blah, 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 blah. Plug, 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 plug. Stay tuned. That's right. um, okay. So let's thank you first of all, for, for sharing that story and it's awesome and so powerful. And, um, and you know, I'm assuming that almost everybody that has heard this will be very, uh, peaked. their interest will be very peaked uh, to check out your course. So, um, I, you know, I'm sharing this episode on the week of you're publishing this course, uh, so that it can be, you know, available so that everyone hearing this can run over and buy it. Um, is there anything else that you want to share about the course that maybe we didn't touch on, you know, and I, I just want to recap for everybody. It's a third and fourth trimester companion course. So it's video based and it takes the the viewer from, is it 30 weeks? I think so. Yeah. So from Yo being 30 weeks all the way through her fourth trimester, and it includes an incredible about hour and a half little documentary of her birth, um, with her narrations over it. But, um, as cool as that is the, the video, you watch it week by week. So the idea could be really fun that when you hit around 30 weeks, you buy the course and you travel with her and every week you get a video, um, and if you're just anxious to watch them sooner, you obviously can. And so you can skip ahead or you can watch it in your fourth trimester and reminisce on on your third trimester with her. But uh, the, the idea of this companion, you know, companion course that's video based. And you watch it, you watch a video every week and you travel with Yolanda at the end of the pregnancy and and then you get to witness her birth, which is just incredible. And and then get into her postpartum. And a lot of it is her musings and her experience and her wide range of emotions, as we talked about, but it's also practical stuff, like how does she prepare and, um, you know, about postpartum stuff. And, and there's there's quite a bit of very tangible, real, useful information, as well as this kind of emotional invitation to um, travel with with someone who's very well-spoken, as you guys all know, um, and really is willing to put it all out there. So I in my mind, one of the beautiful offerings about this is, as we all know, it can be very lonely to have a wild pregnancy and to into uh, birth outside the system, and it can be hard to find other women in your community um, who get it. And so, obviously, we get it. And so, Yolanda, as as a leader of this, you know, that she created something um, to help you not feel so alone, and that you are traveling with a woman who does this um as an integrated part of her of her life and as her um you know as being a woman in this world with this family that it's just a normal integrated and yet very wild experience. So is there anything else that you want to share about it? No,
2: that sounds that sounds right. That sounds great. I mean it was um it is very vulnerable and and you know I had to kind of ask myself am I really going to be okay with this being out in the world but uh, I think it's important. It's important to me that um, that I share as much as I can just the realness of of birth. And I think perhaps there was a teeny little part of me at the beginning of the project that thought that maybe I would get to be you know glamorous and adorable and you know you're totally and, adorable. Well, not glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not glamorous. Uh, you no, know, I really wanted to be able to show um, just how raw, um, Mm -hmm. really is and, and how birth can look in the context of a family.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, you totally nailed it. You did a great job. It's out now. So please go buy it and support Yolanda and her work and enjoy it and, and feel all the wisdom, soak it all up. It's a really, really beautiful course that she's created. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of this. And I'm excited for all the women who enjoy enjoy your course.
2: (laughs) Thank you, Emily. I love you. Thanks.
1: (laughs) That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.